1: Have you ever wanted to chat with a CIA analyst about how to spot propaganda campaigns, or maybe learn what it is like to be a real-life private investigator? I want you to check out Jordan Harbinger's podcast. He has an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-been-heard-before stories and thought-provoking insights. Check out Jordan's conversations with Thomas Erickson about how to protect yourself from psychopaths, or his chat with Renee Deresta on dismantling the disinformation machine. Without fail... He pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode, all with the noble cause to make you a more informed, critical thinker to better operate in today's world. There is so much here. There's just so much here. You can't go wrong with adding The Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It is incredibly interesting. There is never a dull show. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Let's start with Mandy. Um, Mandy, why don't you catch us up on this motion to compel that was filed by Dick Harpootlian and Jim Griffin last week, looking for more information about a certain polygraph that was taken by Curtis Eddie Smith in the
3: Alec Murdoch murder
2: investigation.
3: So first of all, my voice is shot (laughs) from the wedding and talking to people for the last five, six days, whatever. We had a great time, but my voice, you can tell. But there are a couple things I want to say about this. First of all, all of this is a distraction. Let's start there. This motion to compel is a giant distraction. And honestly, my takeaway when I first read it, again, on Wedding Week, in between a million other different things, was this is all that they came up with. Because we knew that Alex was trying to pin it on Eddie since last September. We knew Alex was going to pin it on Eddie since last September. I will repeat that many times because I cannot stress that enough. And the fact that it took this long for the defense to officially say we're pointing the finger here, I, I felt like that meant that they didn't have much else to go off of. Have you ever done a polygraph, Eric?
0: I have for a client. It's a valuable tool for defense attorney, criminal defense attorneys.
2: I've taken one myself. I've been strapped up and uh, had the questions asked. And they spend a considerable amount of time with you talking, uh, you know, through your background or whatever the information is that they're trying to get. They try to put you at ease. And then they ask a couple questions. They ask some questions that are misdirects, meaning they want you to lie uh when you answer the questions so that they can right. see what that looks like. Right. So, he was asked, uh, Eddie was asked three questions. He was asked, did you shoot either of those people at that property on Moselle Road? Did you shoot either of those people at the property on Moselle Road last June? Were you present when either of those people were shot at the property at Moselle Road? So notice they didn't use the names Maggie and Paul. Is that weird?
0: Not necessarily. You have to look at the polygraph in its totality to see how many other questions he failed. There's some people that uh, are incapable of getting an accurate reading on questions because even the foundation questions they can't even get in a truthful manner when they are answering them truthful. So the machine itself, depending on um, you know how it's read, what the, the, the frame questions are, all that has to be looked at. So if he failed basic questions that are true and answered them true, then it's of no value. To a criminal defense attorney, it is in tremendous value. Very rarely do you ask your client, hey, did you kill this person or did you rape this person or did you uh, burn that house down? What we do is we put them on a polygraph test and we hot mic them to see how they would do. If they would do very well and those questions that are answered around the fringes are truthful, then we'll tell the state, The prosecutor, you can polygraph our guy. We've already polygraphed him with, um, you know, a former FBI guy or a former SLED guy who they respect and he passes it. Then that would cause the prosecutor to pause. So a criminal defense attorney, in most cases, uses polygraph exams only if his client passes the polygraph exam.
2: Right. So that sounds like trickery to me almost, because from what I understand, uh, polygraphs are generally not admissible. So um, it's going to be, I just don't understand. Tell me how this works. But they have value. They have value. Sure. I get that they have value, but they're not a proven science per se. They're not necessarily. So from an investigator standpoint, I don't think that they think it has value beyond maybe the willingness of the uh, accused well let, to m- sit let me for give you line. an
0: example courts have to determine what evidence comes in and and like you said polygraph is an unproven science but the standard for a judge is to determine under the fry test or another case called kumo tire is it a generally accepted means of scientific testing and is it the subject of peer group so one of the things is dog barking is another thing. Um, handwriting experts is another type of uh, evidentiary thing that people-
2: Wait, go back to dog barking. What is dog barking? Well- There's like a science-
0: Yeah, like if a dog barking really, really loud, what is it? It means Stop that, it. it. Yeah, it means that people are coming into the house. That it's just The same thing with um, handwriting experts, for instance- you know, sometimes...
2: Eric, te- you, keep, you keep trying to move away from the dog thing, but I want to talk more about the okay. dog thing. <laughs> so you're there are, saying there that are dog- there are scientists who study dog barks and can be brought in on like a murder trial or some sort of criminal trial. People will
0: try. People will try. The prosecution okay. may try and say, hey, the neighbor's dog who very rarely ever barked at three o'clock in the morning started barking incessantly. And that is the exact time that that Person broke into the neighbor's uh. house, and it 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 is a science. Um, some people will debate whether it's an actual uh, empirical science that peer groups study, but there are people that do that. There's 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 a scientist and an expert for everything.
2: So there's basically like the oh, said so the prosecution or the investigators are like have a bunch of little bricks that they're putting together to build their case. The defense doesn't have to prove anything, right? Or you're saying in this case, you've said before that because Dick has said, my client is innocent and I'm going to prove it, now he has to sort of do that. And it's one way, I guess, accusing Eddie Smith of murder, He did which more is than, basically what they've done.
0: Oh, he committed defamation. He did more than just accuse.
2: Yeah, I was wondering about that.
0: Dick just yeah. accused a man who uh, the state has never implicated in this case, hasn't charged him as a code conspirator. Uh, hasn't charged him you know, before or an accessory, before or after this crime, hasn't charged him a misprison of a felony, nothing. Now we do know- Why
2: are they doing this then? Why would he risk that as a, I mean, it's Dick and Why is he risking such, such? I mean, he has a lot of money to lose, right? Well, what if I Eddie mean, what's his reputation?
0: Around? He's already been charged with a fake Labor Day shooting. At or about the time this polygraph evidently took place, he was additionally charged- for money laundering, and he's accused of being a drug runner for Alex. So,
2: But those are all accusations. He's not been found guilty of not. any of those. So in a way, his, his reputation is just somebody who's been accused of a lot of the things related is to Dick, Alex. Dick, so.
0: Dick strategically decided I'd rather face a defamation suit from the likes of Cousin Eddie, and now I consult the public with I found the real killer.
2: Alec Murdoch must smell like cookies because there's very few people that I would go, I don't think there's anyone I would go to this length for, not even professionally, uh, and Dick seems to be putting it all in the trailer and lighting a match to it. So I'm not sure what's up with that.
0: There's something about Alex and something about uh, these type of people that that they will compromise a lifelong uh, reputation of, of good lawyering and, and, uh, and credibility.
2: So now that they're saying that, you know, basically they're saying the state isn't giving the full, like you had said earlier about the totality of the data. So be, I think, I think it's the move here basically to say, look how bad the state is at, at investigating well, yeah. this case. Well, yeah, I mean, they're,
0: they're, Vic has been his main defense is, look, it's taking you a year before you brought these charges. You know, if the evidence was available from the start, you should have brought these charges from the start. You know, you, you, you. You've only singled your focus on Alex. You've not focused on anybody else. And now Dick is starting to say, look, here's Eddie, three quarters of the way into your investigation, two months before you brought your charges, Mm -hmm. somebody fails a polygraph on the basic questions on, did they shoot somebody at this property on Mazel.
2: But that's the thing I think that's annoying me about this. It's just two months before you brought the charges, like we had been hearing... You know, month after month, that we are the charges were coming, the charges were coming, and it, it just seems like this was. I, I just don't know why. What sled stood to gain from this? Do you think they did the polygraph, perhaps at the request of Harpulian, or knowing that at some point this was going to be brought up? Um, because again, if they're generally not admissible in in the well, um, trial, what, what is the point of this? What, what would be the point of them? And he's been this, then? cooperating. What does that mean, uh, cooperating, just a witness that cooperates? There is
0: something more to it. It depends on, you know, what he's cooperating on. But he obviously was been cooperating on the, the drug purchasing, uh, the money issues, and the state felt his you know, was the juice juice worth the squeeze. Evidently he wasn't giving information that they wanted and they decided to up the flame on him, and that's why wow. those charges came okay. in the spring, to just let him know. That we can continue to put a thumbtack okay. to you, you know. Um, from Dick's standpoint, I've always told you he's a forty-four caliber smoke maker. So he's starting a fire over here with this polygraph. Let's get back to the scientific yeah. evidence that we have. The medical evidence is he attacking the medical evidence. The answer is no. He's attacking peripheral stuff and saying let's focus over here. Take your focus off the gun. Powder residue, take your focus off the brain matter and the and the phones. The phones. Mandy, what are your thoughts about, you know, polygraph in general? I mean, I'm sure during your career as an investigative journalist, you've heard about polygraphs. Do you think they're of any value? What are your concerns regarding polygraph?
3: Polygraphs are not admissible in court. They don't matter. Alex Murdoch probably took a lot of polygraphs and he probably passed them because I think he's a psychopath. Uh, Eddie Smith probably isn't used to this whole game. I'm sure Eddie grew up in the Low Country. He knows the power of the Murdochs. I'm sure his nerves were going nuts thinking that he's going to be the scapegoat in this double homicide. Granted, I'm not saying Eddie is completely innocent or innocent at all. I,
2: I don't know. Okay, I want to – let me just tell you first because it's kind of – it's not funny. It's actually really grotesque, but uh, I guess, you know, don't ask Eddie for his theories unless you want to hear them. Uh, So while he was sitting for this polygraph, he had an alternate theory to what happened to Maggie and Paul, and that alternate theory is is this. I'm going to just read it verbatim because it's kind of um, – it'll set the scene for you. I heard that Maggie had a thing going on with the groundskeeper, which I never met him. Don't know his name. And Paul went down into one of the barns and caught him, and he got upset, and he went and got his rifle and was hollering and screaming. His mama his mama was running, and she fell down, and she got up, and he shot her in the ass, and the bullet came out the top of her head, and then he turned to the groundskeeper guy, but the groundskeeper guy already went to his truck and got a shotgun. So that is Eddie's version of what happened that night at Moselle. Now let me just tell you something. Is Eddie on LSD? How does he know that she fell and got up? Either he's been listening to our podcast, uh, or somebody told him something because her falling and getting up again is from what we've been told by our sources, one of the critical uh parts of her trying to escape getting shot. But what um, an explanation, Ed- huh? Ed- Eddie's either
0: high on LSD or mushrooms because one, I don't I don't know if Eddie's got the skill set to even figure out a podcast and how to listen to it. Um but he's grasping at straws at this point because he knows he's facing many years in prison.
2: How does this get introduced then? When uh, the the trial happens in January, right? The state presents yeah, he's evidence. Not,
0: Dick's not introducing this polygraph.
2: So what's the point? Like, what is this? Is like he's salting the earth. That's all. You've it You got is.
0: jurors out there who read the newspaper, hear the news, listen to podcasts. Talk to neighbors over the fences. Have coffee at the coffee shop. He wants one juror. Liz, let's get back to that. Yes, he's saying I'm gonna I want my client to be proven innocent. But Dick Harpootlian will walk out of that courtroom and smile if after a judge gives the dynamite allen charge and the jury still comes back and says we're hung, and the judge says, I'm sorry, it's a hung jury. Dick Harpootlian will walk out grinning like a Cheshire cat.
2: I also want to ask Mandy to wrap this up for us, the polygraph conversation, because I think for a while now, Mandy, you've been saying that, you know, Eddie, to some degree, is kind of a fall guy, if we're going to be talking about fall guys, and You know, from the very start, you know, you had the guy with the least amount of power getting charged. So I just want to hear your thoughts on that. And if you could share that with people, because, you know, we have had a lot of conversations between the two of us about Eddie and you've done a lot of reporting on that. So what do you think?
3: When you look at means, motive and opportunity, Eddie Smith does not have any of them. And Alex has all of them. So, again, this is a giant distraction and we can't ignore that. And we'll be right back.
1: As y'all know, we're out on the West Coast connecting with fans, meeting with partners, and having a little fun too. All the planes, trains, and automobiles can be stressful. But do you know what's gonna keep me comfy and confident along the way? You guessed it, Viore. And Viore makes a fantastic gift for the people in your life who deserve the most comfortable and versatile clothing. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viori.com slash C-O-J. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash C-O-J. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viori.com slash C-O-J and discover the versatility of Viori clothing.
2: Okay, Eric, I have a gift for you, and um, I think you're going to – Well, wow, that's nice. First, I just want to give a little background. Um, in 2017, Carmen Mullen, Judge Carmen Mullen, was involved in a si- – Oh, gosh. Yep, was involved in a situation on Hilton Head oh, where God. she lives in Port Royal Plantation. And it was – this is sort of a mythical police report. Uh, for some reason, our police reporters missed this, and it could be simply that um, – it's because her name is misspelled throughout the police report. So if you were to do a search uh, or ask for reports on Carmen Mullen, M-U-L-L-E-N, you would not have gotten this report. So this police report had her last name misspelled, and we finally found it. And we, I want you to read it. It's very short. Uh, it's, it's an incident report. It's just one page. So I'm going to text that to you right now and while you're reading it i'm going to let the listeners know a little bit about this report um because it's it's a doozy i think i think you're going to i think you're going to be pretty shocked by this so
0: are you putting me on the spot I, that's what you're i had to right.
2: i think you're going to see why i had to put you on the spot i could not give this to you earlier uh because it, i think it's going to put you in a position so i'd rather put you in a position live on the air than you know behind the scenes. <laughs> so here's what the report is, everybody. Um, on De- In December 2017, a woman called her the security in Port Royal Plantation and said that she had a man living with her and she wanted him off of her property. This man, his name was Ernie Letito, and he was referred to as Ernie the attorney around Hilton Head area. And he's sort of a troubled guy. Um, I don't want to go too much into him. Uh, he is not a practicing attorney, So, you know, he's a guy on Hilton Head that is one of those local personalities that people know of. And some people, you know, were were taking care of him, making sure that he had a place to live and and all of that. So this place where he lived on Port Royal, um, the woman he was living with no longer wanted him there. She called security. Security called deputies and a deputy named um, his last name was Demars and he was new. He had been at the sheriff's office for about six months at that time. So he didn't know people in the area to the degree that you would need to know um, in order for what the judge wanted to happen to happen. So Carmen Mullen, the judge that's been involved with the um, Murdoch stuff, um, her name's come up quite a bit. And um, as Eric's reading this, Eric uh, actually filed a joint complaint against her with the Commission on Judicial Conduct, along with um, Solicitor Pascoe. Uh, So we haven't heard anything on that. So on this particular day in December 2017, Carmen Mullen involves herself. So the deputy is inside the house talking to the owner of the house and the security guard's like, hey, uh, Judge Mullen is here. She wants to talk to a deputy. So Mullen comes in and she basically says, listen, you got to arrest him on something. Let's find something to arrest him on. And you know he doesn't have a trespass uh, notice where he can't be on this property. And the deputy is like, Look, there is an eviction process. She needs to go through the eviction process so she wants this guy off her property. His behavior, he hasn't done anything. She's not accusing him of anything. So Judge Mullen goes and speaks to the homeowner to see if she can find something that's arrestable, some sort of offense that would qualify for an arrest, and she couldn't. So instead, she starts to... Um, talk about a a trespass notice that he has at a local gas station. So there's this gas station. He's not supposed to go to it. So she offers, allegedly, according to this report, to drive Ernie, the attorney, to this gas station so that the deputy can arrest him there. So she is almost facilitating an arrest of this guy, trying to find a way to get him arrested. Uh, Additionally... She finds out from the homeowner that there is an investigation going on uh, involving uh, Ernie at the time with the sheriff's office. So she says, Why don't we arrest him as part of that investigation? Now, they say, Well, we haven't worked up any warrants. We're still investigating it. We don't know if he's ready to be arrested on that or if he'll be arrested on that. But, you know, we're, we're, if, if we're going to arrest him, we'll go to the, the magistrate and get that warrant signed. She says, Well, I'm a judge. I can sign a warrant. So. So at that point, uh, the the new deputy is like, look, my supervisor wants me to leave the scene. We'll have somebody, you know, figure this out in the normal course of investigations and eviction process. And apparently she was, you know, they made a note to say that she was, you know, kind to the deputy. She wasn't a jerk or anything like that. But this raises obviously a lot of questions about what she as a judge, uh, how she conducts herself. So it looks like Eric has read the report. Uh, Eric. You okay?
0: <laughs> okay did you, did you hear me? Gold? No, you hear me I did.
2: Tell me, what are you thinking?
0: Well, you obviously want to kill my legal career. Well, I have me answer questions again about the Judge Mom? But yeah, in all seriousness, uh, it's it's a troubling report that I just read. Um, it you know, judges are are humans, and so in, on one hand, they have to. Uh, dispense justice, do it equally, do it without, no. you know, it's not currying favor, friends to reward, enemies to punish. On the other hand, they do live in a neighborhood and they want to be protected. Um, you know, we do hear cases where, you know, uh, litigants come to a judge's house and they shoot people like the judge's family in New Jersey, the federal court judge, they shot us her husband and killed him in the to be
2: clear though this was not this was not at her house this is at a neighbor's house um like half a mile away so this isn't even like she
0: she injected herself in this where she was not asked to come and get involved nor was it her place to get involved Uh, i'm troubled by a number of things that took place here which was look let's figure out a way to get an outcome to get this guy arrested not Go through the proper channels of, I'm very troubled by Judge Mullen's statement, if it's correct, in the narrative by the deputy, where she said, look, I sign arrest warrants all the time, just get me an r- arrest warrant and I'll sign it. But she clearly jumped into something where she had no business being a part of. And now, it would be equally problematic if a arrest warrant was presented to her and she was to issue an arrest warrant because she would be conflicted out.
2: So that raises an interesting question that you just said. Dick Harpootlian intimated at one of Alec's, uh hearings in the double murder trial that uh, Mullen has signed at least one warrant related to that case. So does this now throw into question every warrant that she signed? Um, what, what does this do for her moving forward?
0: It it doesn't help her reputation. Look, even though she issued a warrant, um, supposedly, that would be a search warrant against Alex's interest, it could be said, well, she's trying to do it in order to clean her reputation, which Bland and Pasco sullied with reporting her to the bar. Listen, it's the appearance of impropriety that judges have to be concerned about, not the actual conflict. This is an outcome determinative confrontation here where she's determined to get this guy arrested under any set of circumstances. So I'm very surprised that this, well, I'm not surprised. I was going to say I'm surprised that, that she was not reported by this, by the police officers, but they have to appear before her. Um, you know, it's such a small county, you know, prosecution cases rely on police officers Police officers rely on judges to issue warrants. You know, I'm not saying that Judge Mullen is a vindictive person, but if they reported her to ODC in 2017 for this, all hell would have broken loose in that circuit. Duffy Stone's office would have really uh, had a problem with the police reporting a judge who sits on every one of her cases.
2: And then Mandy, what were your, I know we've talked a lot about this, but what was your initial reaction when you read this report? What were you thinking?
3: I hope, I hope that the ODC gets it together and understands that, look, if she's not investigated and if she's not suspended from the bench, then our entire justice system is at stake and our entire justice system is officially in shambles. If we do not fully investigate this judge, she should not be ruling on the bench right now, um, not only from this report, but from her alleged involvement in the Satterfield case.
0: Let me bring this further home on the appearance of impropriety. We, I have reported Judge Mullen. I, I do not want her to pass judgment on any issue for any of my clients in the future based right. on my reporting her. I, I'm not saying that she could not be objective, but it, it's the appearance of impropriety. So, for instance, we have a motion um, that is coming up in Charleston and Judge Mullen is the presiding judge on that motion. We just got a calendar. We wrote her and we said, Judge Mullen, you know, in light of the fact that Eric Blam reported you along with David Pasco, we would ask that you not. Uh, sit in judgment on this motion. To her credit, to her credit, she wrote back and said, not only will I not sit on this motion, but I will never sit again on anything having to do with Bland Richter. That is the appropriate response. That is her saying to herself, it would create the appearance of impropriety if I sat on this case. Now, why didn't she do it with this uh, Ernie case? I have no idea.
2: I do. No one was watching back then. There was no Eric Bland back then.
0: Somebody who's listening to this, if this is true, this needs to be addressed by our state.
2: I would also say to people listening, if they've had experiences with judges in South Carolina that are similar to this, uh, they should definitely give us a call or send us an email because it's super disturbing um, but here's a sentence that Judge Mullen advised we need to find something to arrest Lotita with and remove him. I contacted my supervisor and advised him of the judge's request. Now you can see the gravity there, right? Sort of like this judge is requesting this thing. It's not of this, you know, neighbor's request, it's the judge. She's using her full authority in this matter. Judge Mullins went to the front door of the residence and spoke with the complainant to determine if there was any offense that had occurred where Lotito could be arrested. Judge Mullins stated that she knew Lotito had a trespass after notice at a gas station in Beaufort. Judge Mullins said she'll find him a ride to that gas station and then call deputies to arrest Lotito. That is chilling to me. I know this is just like a-
0: Have you? Did you try to get Judge Mullins side of the story, Liz?
2: Yeah, we uh, emailed her uh, for a comment, yeah. What was her response? We didn't hear back. And that is not surprising.
0: Well, I'm surprised because if, if, if I was attacked as a judge, I would have a lawyer or somebody respond and say that is categorically untrue. And I, I, I disagree with the de- deputy's narrative of what was discussed.
2: Right, but see, here's the thing: is there's going to be a CAD and there's going to be recordings. So she better be sure, you know, what's on the recordings. um, You know, when it comes to what, what did they radio in? um, What were those conversations with the supervisor? Those, those might not, you know, those might be worse for her, honestly.
0: And we'll be right back.
2: Allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island, where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. So one thing I want to do is just to go back and read this um second paragraph that I've marked here. The resident advised Judge Mullins there was a breach of trust incident that was being investigated by Investigator Chin. Judge Mullins inquired on an arrest for breach of trust. I advised Judge Mullin I would have to present the facts of the case to Judge Coffey to issue an arrest warrant. And Judge Coffey is the magistrate on Hilton Head. Judge Mullin advised she signs arrest warrants all the time and she would sign the warrant. At this point, I contacted my supervisor a second time.
0: Because he obviously is really feeling uncomfortable. Right. says I got to contact my supervisor. I'm getting squeezed here. I'm getting squeezed.
2: That's right. So, you know, they do make a point. Like the very last sentence of this uh, report says Judge Mullen was very cordial with deputies. So, again, you know. That kind of makes me think the opposite, but um, who knows? Uh, but I find it interesting that they they. Ma-
0: what do you mean makes you think the opposite?
2: Well, why would a deputy make it a point to say that Judge Mullen was very cordial to deputies? Why put that in there?
0: Self serving, right?
2: Yeah, right. Okay.
0: Right, right. You know, and that's how this all try happens. try not to make her look so so bad. You know what I mean? You know, or you know, he did hammer her. If you read this, there's no way you can read this other than. He's hammering Judge Mullen in this narrative. It's not doing her any favors.
2: No, no. I mean, and again, he's a young deputy, he's new, and uh, but imagine if he weren't. Imag- so like this is something that got reported. What are the things that don't get reported out there? Uh, about judges who are, are used to um, you know, being able to say that doesn't go in the report or uh
0: Or or judges oftentimes oftentimes say to the court reporter Um, Don't record this. Don't report this or strike that, you know, not because they're doing something wrong, but it could be an extemporaneous statement that they make. They have a tendency sometimes, some judges, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but they say to the court reporter, I don't want that on the transcript.
2: So Eric, you know, when you were saying earlier, like that, this could put your legal career in jeopardy. I, and I know Judge Mullen is, is not going to be hearing any cases or tr- or hearings involving your firm anymore moving forward. But what, what exactly? I mean, the reason I presented th- this to you on the air uh, is because I knew that you might have an obligation to report her. Is that Would that have been true?
0: Um, it's that also, but there's also the intangibles. You know, lawyers aren't, you know, shouldn't really every day talk about judges in a way that you and I are talking about them on this podcast. Um and 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 again, the issues I'm seeing with Judge Mullen, I never see with any other judges. I don't see these issues that are repeating themselves. That's not to say that Judge Mullen hasn't done a great job in other cases you know, sitting on a, you know, a jury trial doing the correct thing, you know, her appellate uh, reversal rate may be exemplary, but these kind of things are troubling where a judge would inject herself into something that was going on way down the street without being asked either by law enforcement or by the neighbor to get involved. Now, again, she is a resident there. Um, it, you know, I, I do understand that judges are people, judges live in a house They're, you know, they have a tough job. You go out to restaurants, people recognize them. You know, I've been with a judge before and somebody came up to the table and said, judge, you know, so-and-so I appeared before your court and you sentenced me to jail. Now I was sitting there scared to death, wondering what was going to happen. And the person said, I want to thank you for doing that. The, the, the two years I spent in jail did more for me to rehab me and right the ship. And now I have a job. I've gone back to my family. You did a great job for me, a great service. And I want to thank you. That's the rare occasion. The other wow, occasion yeah, is, I was say. Is, Jack, is Jack Swirling, who uh, represented somebody who was convicted. That person broke out of jail. That person went to Jack's house and held him, his wife, hostage for 14 hours at gunpoint with a ski mask on. And Jack finally recognized who it was, that it was a former client. So there are situations where crazy stuff can happen. So I understand Judge Mullen's concern for safety, but I do not understand why she would have personally invested herself in this.
2: And, you know, we don't know the circumstances of what led her uh, did somebody go fetch her? Did she, you know, Correct. was she out walking her dogs and saw this happening and decided to help? And you know, Ernie Lotito is not somebody, you know, he's he's, um you know, somebody with with a criminal history or at least of being accused of making threats and such. Yeah, but you said so, he's
0: well, you said he's, you know, he nobody ever felt that they were physically in danger from him. You know, I'm um, sure. He, I
2: say that actually. I mean, I wouldn't say that nobody felt like they were in physical danger. I think there there are people and lawyers out there who have restraining or had or have had restraining orders against him. He's mentally ill and that is why the bar um put his license on hold. Uh and he might even I, I'll have to check the status of his license right now, but he um he's somebody that people looked out for. Uh you know, there were people on the island that certainly looked out for his interests because mental illness is doesn't mean you need to get rejected, you know, outright and and kicked out of the kicked off the island, as it were. But um, you know, certainly it's not okay to, to make threats against people. And but in this circumstance, this incident, he was not, according to this report, making any threats. He was simply talking to himself. Um You know, it said basically my observation of Lotito was he appeared to be a mental subject, but was not a threat. That's literally what the report says. So, this is what the judge inserted herself into. I want to go back to something that you were saying, though, earlier um, about judges and, you know, they're they're humans and all that. And you'd said this to me uh, one time, just in a personal conversation that we're having, that being a judge is a lonely job. Can you just tell people a little bit? And why do you think it's the worst? Because it's one of those things that's like there's such great respect for judges just automatically granted to them, right?
0: We have great judges um, throughout our state court system. We have great judges, really good judges on the federal level. Now, everybody knows that the federal judges seem to have a higher pedigree. Uh, They graduated from the higher law schools. They clerked either for Uh, Other federal judges or sometimes for the appellate court judges, they they tend to be viewed more serious. Um, But other judges, sometimes they were just staff attorneys for uh, a State Department or they um, had a smaller town practice. Not that they weren't great attorneys, but you don't get the Ronnie Crosby's being a judge. You don't get the Gedney House being a judge. You don't get Dick Harbutlian's being a judge or Mark Tinsley's. Being a judge. And the reason is. And why? They're making so much money in private practice, millions of dollars that they earn, justly earn from good representation. And judges don't earn that much money. They, they, it's it's a state salary. You do get benefits, you do get retirement. The reason it becomes lonely is you spend your day as a 50 year old judge with a 23 year old law clerk because when you become a judge, you almost have a shield around you. Everybody's afraid to have a personal relationship with you. Judges are afraid of that appearance of impropriety. So they don't want to be seen with Eric Bland golfing or drinking at a tailgating at a USC football game. Some
2: of them don't. I think some of them have no problem being seen because during the trial lawyers association conference here every year, you know, there's lots of parties involving judges and lawyers, uh, particularly the Murdochs back in the day, back in their heyday two years ago. That's a different. Uh, that's when- a
0: different crowd. The crowd that I run in, right. I don't see judges. And we had a situation years and years and years ago, Liz, where judges were only um, uh, sitting in their home county, and that created the appearance that you would get home cooked if you were not a lawyer in that county and you were litigating a case. In that county, let's say Greenville going to Buford. So then the legislature had the idea, which is a great idea. Well, let's send them around on a circuit. So let's send sure. Buford lawyers to to Clarendon County so that they would have to sit there and they wouldn't be able to presumably home cook. Well, what happened then is judges would be taken out to dinner every night by different law firms. A better dinner here yeah. than they would be taken to a USC basketball game. Well, then that that practice stopped. And now you have judges, you see them all the time. Like when I go to No Name Delhi, I'll see a traveling judge, Judge McCauley from Anderson, eating lunch with his law clerk. Can you imagine, you know, if you're a 53-year-old person spending your day with a law clerk? Yes, they're, they're interesting young people, but they're not your contemporary. They don't have the life right. experiences that you do. So being a judge, is an incredibly lonely, lonely job, and I don't, I, I don't envy them.
2: So, do you think that we're going to see some action now that this report is out there?
0: Well, I'm sure if David Pasco is listening to this podcast, he's not going to be pleased. Um,
2: no, certainly not. And I don't
0: know no, whether anybody right. on the Judicial Conduct Committee listens to our podcast. I highly doubt it. Um, I would hope. Uh, we 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 uh, we say some. they're listening now? We say some interesting <laughs> and provocative things, um, and th- I know there are lawyers that listen to our podcast because they they you know message us, they Instagram, they do Twitter and stuff like that. This is very serious. Um, I'm not saying it happened. Yeah, and I'm it's it's clearly a one sided report because it's of a uh, from a deputy. So
2: so I want to just ask, uh, throw in one question here to end this with, but do you think there's any hope for the low country, uh, when it comes to judges?
0: Yes. I think as, as time goes on, we're getting new judges and younger judges, you know, remember these younger judges don't have the same relationships that the older lawyers have, that they build up over a 30 or a 40 year period. Um, Look, again, Judge Mullen has done some wonderful things on the bench. I am absolutely sure of that. I'm sure she's made, you know, hundreds of really good just decisions. But I I am troubled by the number of things that I'm hearing about Judge Mullen. And for somebody like David Pasco, who is a prosecutor, a current prosecutor, to have reported her, that's a very big problem. And it speaks to You know, she may have to make a decision whether she wants to remain on the bench. That's her call. But, you know, I it is my hope that the report that David and I made in the spring uh, be investigated. I wouldn't have made it if I didn't want it to be investigated. Look, I'm certainly investigated when everybody makes reports against me. I'm being investigated when Dick hart reported me for, you know, my public statements. So judges should not. Uh, have any special license that they're not investigated. They drink from the same cup of justice that we should drink from. So if I'm investigated based on a complaint, even if it's not a meritorious complaint, investigate it and then dismiss it. If they investigate our complaints and they determine after full investigation that nothing should be done, then so be it. But at least let's have an investigation. We don't want two systems of justice in our state.
1: The Murdoch Murders podcast is created by me, Mandy Matney, and my fiancé, David Moses. Our executive editor is Liz Farrell.
0: Produced by Luna Shark Productions.
4: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection you don't have to give up carbs or anything